So, as you know, we've started the Engage Bristol series. We publicize this. If you don't have one of these flyers, there's still someone laying back on the Welcome Center. And this runs through the middle of February for this series we already had laid out. We sat down about a year and a half ago and had uh, a lot of time and a lot of effort devoted to laying out a three-year strategic plan. And we said then that we were going to uh, target 2024 to engage Bristol. And that's our, this, this series of sermons through February 18th is related to engaging Bristol. Now, just so you know, Mark had a hand in this. Um, prove that. Here comes his joke. So there's two football players from one of the highly esteemed Southern universities. We'll talk about which one later. These boys were in trouble scholastic. It's the end of the semester. Bowl game's coming up, and they're not going to be up. So the coach goes to the dean and says, hey, can we do anything to get these boys some extra credit? The dean says, I'll talk to the professor. So he comes back to him and says, coach, go see the professor. He's going to take care of it. So the coach goes see the professor, and he says, I'll give them a special exam. If they can pass it, they'll be eligible to play. Okay, my guys will be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock taking it. Well, now these two boys showed up, and this is Bruno and Bubba, the starting tackles, okay? Bruno's a smart one, so he sat in the front seat. Bubba took the seat behind him. The professor says, okay, it's, one, it's a one-question test. Fill in the blank. Old McDonald had a blank. Well, Bruno starts scribbling. Bubba's Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. What do I do? It's farm, Goofy. Oh. How do I spell that? Oh, come on. It's E-I-E-I-O. So, obviously, that was an Overton joke, okay? So, so you know we had a part in this. So. All right. Sometimes we got things we know. Sometimes we got things we think we know, like how to spell farm. And sometimes we just got things we need to know. So today, let's start with our question. What do we need to know about witnessing to our city? But first, let's pray for a second. Lord, thank you for allowing us to assemble in your house and look to your word to praise and worship you, to gather together, but to be able to be here in your house and corporately study that we might be better equipped to do the job you have before us. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you pour out on us. I'd ask you again that you'd lay your hands upon Mark, look out for him, guard all these kids who are traveling, not only our kids, but the kids all across the southeast who are traveling home from the team. Be with them all, keep them safe. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that Jesus died for us. It's in his name that we pray. Okay, today, when we get to our text in a minute, it's going to be Acts chapter 1. Well, let's set the scene just a little bit for where we are. You know, Jesus was crucified. Then he's, after he was resurrected, he spent 40 days on earth. 
this is just at the end of those 40 days. And uh, the disciples still don't really understand what's going on. They're humans like us. They're still confused. Jesus has been traveling throughout the area as much as anything to prove that he was resurrected. So people could see him, lay eyes on him, know that he had indeed conquered death. So this is at the end of that 40-day period. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First thing we want to mention, the letters are red. All us old-timers know what that means. You know, some of our younger kids may not recognize red-letter edition Bibles. And I told them in first service, I was probably in my 40s before I had a Bible that wasn't red-letter. I thought Bibles had to be red-letter or they weren't a real Bible. You know, but I still like red-letter Bibles. I like seeing Jesus' words pop off the, the page to us. But let's read this again, and then we'll skip to the next verse, 1 verse 9. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we see in 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Wow. This was right at the end of the 40 days, wasn't it? Right at the very end. We don't know that those were the exact last words spoken by Jesus. They're the last words we have recorded that were spoken by Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Let's think a little bit about that. Jesus was usually pretty spot on with his timing and with his message. I've got to think that the last thing Jesus is going to tell us is something that matters to us. Don't you agree? This is probably the premier thought he wants. He didn't, he didn't three days later say, oh gosh, I should have told him. No, Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus said what he meant to say. You will be my witnesses. That's our calling order, marching order. All right, so if we look back at verse 8, we see, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. For our study today and through Engage Bristol, let's think about Jerusalem as being Bristol. That's the area that the guys we're most familiar with. We'll think, so we'll think about Jerusalem equates to our purposes for Bristol. Then when we look at Judea, we're going to say, well, okay, let's open it up a little bit. You know, that's more like Tennessee and Virginia. And then if we say Samaria, let's say, okay, that's the United States. Then, of course, to the ends of the earth is still the same thing. It's still to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, Start close, let the ripple spread, let the message go, let it, let it be spread. You will be my witness in Bristol. Our theme for 2024, as I said, is engage Bristol. 
And we sat down and we did this three-year plan. We put a lot of time and effort into it, a lot of prayer and study. We said that we were going to spend last year getting our hearts and our minds ready. We were going to focus on small groups. We were going to focus on coming together and, and focus on our prayer life as a, as a group, that we were going to be better equipped when we hit 24 to engage Bristol. So you're really seeing the visible part of our three-year plan begin to roll out right now. But like I say, 2024, our target was that we were going to engage Bristol. So if we're going to engage Bristol, what are we going to do? One thing we're going to do is we're going to witness. So you can think of witness Bristol or engage Bristol. By definition, witness, if you trace it back to the root word, is, is the same root word that we get our word martyr from. Now we think about martyrs and we think about first century Christians and we instantly start thinking about the disciples being martyred for Christ. These guys were committed enough to the cause that they were willing to die for what they believed in. Fortunately, we, we probably don't have to worry about being martyred. That's not a concern to us at this point in this country. But instead, we need to think about the word martyr. And we need to think, as David mentioned, some of the things we need to die to. Maybe we need to die to some of our safety, our security, our control. And I'll tell you what I mean in just a minute. Primarily, we need to step up and step out of our box and go outside our comfort zone. So let's think for a minute about how we do church. We come together, we sing, we praise, we worship, we, we celebrate communion together. We pat each other on the back, we get encouraged, we love on each other. We study. We have small groups, fellowships. Yeah, that means eat. So, you know, that's what we do. We come in and we, we come huddled. We do a lot of things corporately huddled up in our little bubble inside Central. And those are all great. Those are things we need to do. We need the encouragement. We need the strengthening. We need to be with like-minded people and to fellowship together. But if you look, what's Jesus tell us to do? I think Jesus' intent would be for us to use coming to church kind of like a charging station. We'll run in, plug up, get filled up, hit the road, let's get back to work. Think about that. This coming to church, doing church, shouldn't be the end of our trail of what we're trying to do here. Another definition for witness is to announce, to proclaim, to report. Maybe we need to tell about Jesus. Now let's talk about some things we need to know. How, do we go, how are we going to witness? The very first thing we've got to realize that everybody needs to accept is this. You don't have to be an expert to be a witness for Jesus. If Eric is in court 
He sees witnesses in court. Most of them aren't experts. Witnesses aren't experts. You, you, you may have expert testimony about any given thing. You may call in a, con <clears throat> excuse me, a consultant for expert testimony. Witnesses only need to report what they know, what they saw. Another definition for, for this would be testify. That's all a witness needs to do is testify. Give me an example. You're standing in a convenience store, waiting in line. Mask man comes in, pulls out a firearm, holds up, the, you know, tells the clerk, give me all your money. Clerk gives him the money, he runs out the door. You're called to testify. What do you need to know? Just what we said. He came in the door, he brandished the firearm, the woman gave him the money, he went back out. You don't need to know what caliber the gun is, how many shells were in it, you know, what color his socks were. You don't need to know that stuff. You just need to know what you saw, what you experienced, what happened. So how do we witness? We tell our story. That's what witnessing is either. We don't have to be a theologian. You don't need a seminary degree. Maybe you haven't read the entire Bible. You may not have a lot of scripture committed to memory. You certainly don't have to be able to answer any question that somebody might pose to you. If we waited on that, none of us would probably ever be equipped to go. Just tell your story. What's your story? Your story is how your life is changed because of Jesus Christ. Your story is pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. That's the story you tell. Caution here. If I'm going to tell my story, and I expect you to pay attention to me, my life out here running around in public better match my words. My actions and my attitudes better be aligned with what I'm telling you. Or my story gets no traction. I have no credibility whatsoever. If I'm a big, hateful jerk, uh, my story is not going to sway anyone. A Holy Spirit-filled witness should be displaying the gifts of the Spirit. And we know those. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We know those things. But yet they slip away from us. That's part of telling our story. We're presenting our story whether we're using words or not. Keep that in mind. When we tell our story, that's our job. It's not my job necessarily to close the deal. It's not my job to sell the story. It's my job to tell my story, what I know, give it to that person, let the Holy Spirit take over from there. We may never see the story close. When we're witnessing to somebody, we potentially could be the first person that's ever spoken to them about Jesus. Maybe we planted that seed. And it may take a multitude of other people watering and pruning and encouraging before that seed ever flourishes and grows fruit. So don't be dissuaded if you don't see immediate results. Tell your story. 
that's your job. We can't force anybody to accept Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's not going to force anybody to accept Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's going to keep tapping that heart. Keep reminding them. So who's a witness? Jesus tells us, you will be my witness. If you look at the whole verse, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And yes, the power of the Holy Spirit will help you. So what do we know about this Holy Spirit? Not enough. None of us know everything, that's for sure. And we're not going to try to capture the whole thing. We're going to talk about a few points here. Number one, the Holy Spirit's God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is capable of anything. We could walk out this door today, and as we're walking across the parking lot, there could be lightning bolts spelling out Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's, don't expect that to happen. You could tell your story. And the Holy Spirit could stir up the biggest, most ferocious earthquake you ever saw. Don't expect that to happen. How do we see the Holy Spirit? A lot of times we see the Holy Spirit as that little quiet voice inside that's nudging us. Sometimes we're about to be tempted. And I'm, I'm going to go do something. Uh, wait a minute. Are you really going to do that? Do you really want to do that? Sometimes it's the flip side of that. Sometimes it's that little voice that says, Dennis, get up and go over there and speak to that person. Or Dennis, see if you can help that person. Or Dennis, you were a jerk. You probably need to go apologize to Jeanette. You know. <coughs> the Holy Spirit works subtly through us. But the, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not immensely powerful. Holy Spirit may be what rolled you out of bed this morning. After you hit the snooze button the sixth time, it may have been the Holy Spirit that actually said, get up. If you're here and you're not a believer, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit had a hand in getting you here. I don't know what your story was. I don't know why you're here. I don't know if somebody invited you. I don't know what it is, but you're here somehow connected to working for the so let's talk a little bit more about the power, just to, to think about the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. If we went on just a little bit, uh, just, I'm sorry, I lost my place for just a second. If we went over into the next chapter of Acts, we go into chapter 2, we quickly see the account of the day of Pentecost. And this is something we think about as one of the most spirit-filled days that we have record of. We know that on this day, Peter spoke. We know the culmination of it was 3, 000, about 3,000 people were added to the church. So we know that day the Holy Spirit was flat out working. Because not only, I've got to tell you one little piece of this. These folks were assembled for Peter to be preaching because... They actually were assembled for a festival. And they were assembled from a big area. If you look in Acts chapter 2, it's a major chunk of that part of the world that folks had come in, into this area. They were there for the feast. And it's a, the feast of the day of Pentecost, or it's also known as the Feast of Weeks. 
That's 50 days after the first fruits feast. So it was a, it was a Thanksgiving feast for their harvest, for how good God was to them. But they were assembled for the feast, so it was a big deal. So Peter goes in and preaches, 3,000 are saved. And all these people disperse back to where they go. Hmm. We said Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and there they go. We see in this account all these folks from different places. Of course, they, there was a lot of different languages. They weren't all East Tennessee rednecks like me and spoke broken English. They were, they were from all over the place, had a lot of dialects, a lot of languages. Holy Spirit was at work so that when Peter spoke, they all understood him. So not only did the Holy Spirit conquer this language barrier and do that sweet thing, but the Holy Spirit was at work in 3,000 hearts a month. Quite a bit of power. If we'd look on over into chapter 8, there's a lot of witnessing. There's a lot of Holy Spirit stuff in, in Acts. There really is. Um, actually, witness is mentioned 39 times in the book of Acts, in case you need that for a trivia study. And if we go over to chapter 8, well, let's back up just a second to the very end of chapter 7, which is where we see the report of the stoning of Stephen. And because he actually had the audacity to chastise the Sanhedrin for their treatment of Jesus. So they drug him out in the street, outside the city, and they stoned him. You know the rest of the, that little piece of the story is that uh, some guy named Saul stood there and hold, held their coats while they stoned him. Look for him to show up later on. Not today, but later on in history. So immediately after Stephen was stoned, there was a lot of ruckus, a lot of controversy. Let's get these guys out. You know, the Christians were under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. So what'd they do? They scattered. If we look down in the next verse, which would be chapter 8, verse 5, tells us Philip goes to Samaria, preaching Christ. Samaria. We said we were going to go there. That's what Jesus told us in, that, in verse 1a. One thing we didn't talk about about the Samaritans, they didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like them. They both considered the other a half-breed race for different reasons, and we're not getting into all that today. But they weren't buddies. So here, Philip is going to people that don't like him, that don't look like him, that don't act like him, that don't think like him, and he's preaching the word. Jesus said you would go to Judea and Samaria. So just like this, we see God at work. We see the Holy Spirit's power display. Just as we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in these situations, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to help us with our stuff. Holy Spirit's here. We can allow him to help, or we can squelch him. We can step on him. We can push him back. It's our choice. It's kind of crazy that we 
can push away God. But God's not going to force us. Holy Spirit's not going to force us. But we can use the Holy Spirit in our storytelling. You know, maybe, maybe you're timid like me. You don't, you don't you get do well in front of crowds and like people. Maybe you're real timid, but maybe you're insecure about telling your story. Maybe you're uncertain about what all you ought to say. Maybe you know you're going to stutter and stumble and fumble along with your words. It doesn't matter. Do your part. Tell your story. Let the Holy Spirit go with it. You do your part. doesn't have to be perfect. Just do your part. Mark's told me a lot of times about how he'll have somebody contact him after a sermon and say, Oh, Mark. I'm so glad you said what you said about X, Y, Z. And he'll say, I'm glad it helped. I'm glad, glad I, that's what my sermons are for, is to help you. Is there anything else I can do? No, thanks. That was what I needed. When they walk off, he says, I didn't say that. That's the Holy Spirit. Mark says something. You're sitting out there, and you hear what he said, but that triggers your mind to go, off somewhere that you need to be you think you heard something because you did get the answer in your head the Holy Spirit works in ways like that that person went home better equipped they're giving Mark the credit it actually was the Holy Spirit if we look for the Holy Spirit at work in our lives it's in a lot of places but we're so busy doing life and being us and running by everything, we're charging on down the road, not paying attention. Okay, we're getting late. I'm sorry. We're, so we'll, we'll kind of head toward wrapping up here. Let's get to our connection for today. Jesus calls us to witness to our city, to our Jerusalem, just as he called the apostles to witness to their Jerusalem. So how are we going to witness? What are we going to do? We're going to tell our story. Now, when we tell our story, we got to live our story. we got to be true to our story. We probably need to be ready to tell our story. Probably want to pre-think this. If you never have, if you've never shared the good news with anybody, have a conversation with yourself in the mirror and, talk, and think about how you would present that. If you've never thought about your story or you say, I don't have a story, take a couple of sheets of paper and sit down and put without Jesus and after Jesus, and you start that list and you see which list looks better. You do have a story, even though we may be so busy with life, we don't give God credit for our story. So I would encourage you to take the time to get your story ready. It's going to make it easier to tell it. You know, one thing I thought about this week as, we, as I was working on this, we did a lot of work in small groups last year in trying to be ready for this year. We probably missed one that we should have done, or we probably missed more than one, but one came to mind for me. We probably should have done a couple of small groups that focused on giving your testimony, being ready so that we're ready. It's a whole lot easier to tell your friends your story than it is a stranger that asks 
And maybe we need to look into that going down the road. Don't be surprised if you don't hear an announcement that we're going to have a, a small group looking at that. But look for opportunities to tell you. It does, you don't have to. I don't expect you. I don't think it's good. It even works anymore for us to go bang on doors and say, hey, can I tell you about my church? Can I tell you about Jesus? But there's subtle ways to do it. You got some of these last year, these little business cards. I dare say most of these got thrown away. There's more of them still around here. There's some at the Welcome Center, not a whole lot, but there's probably two or 3,000 of them still around here. Get some of these. Make us print more, but use them. Don't take them home, throw them away. But you know, you're, you're getting your tires rotated. You're paying the bill. Offer the person one, hey, if you don't have a church home, love for you to come visit. That's innocent. It's easy. It's painless. I've never had anybody bite my head off over that. I've had a couple of people tell me, I don't need that, thanks. But I've never had anybody confront me about it. You don't have to evangelize them, but that cracks the door. And who knows, that person might say, tell me more. So look for, look for easy cheater ways to make this easier for us. That's how we all work. So let's look at a couple of quick points here to wrap this up. First of all, you don't have to be an expert. And remember, God doesn't just call the ones that are equipped. God calls us, and then he and the Holy Spirit will help equip us once we get up and get in motion. We've talked about things we know and things we think we know and things we ought to know. I'm going to close with something I absolutely know. I am positive that this is correct. And that's that when you leave this campus today, you're driving down the road, anybody you see, anybody you see in their yard, anybody you see in a restaurant, anybody you see anywhere at work this week, whatever, anybody you see on TV, anybody, God loves them enough that Jesus died for them. Period. I don't care who they are, God loves them that much. It's our job to help them connect to Jesus. It's our job to engage them. It's our job to tell our story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so, so much. So much that Jesus was willing to die for. Lord, help us to be a little better equipped to follow your commands, to be your witnesses. And Lord, more than anything, help us to overcome ourselves that we'll step out and put the effort into it try to make a difference by doing what you tell us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us that much that Jesus did indeed die for us when we could never deserve it. It's in his name I ask these things.